Amen. I enjoyed that. Thank you. And uh, Silent Nights, I think my favorite Christmas song. And uh, I think it's my favorite because it was my dad's favorite. And you know how that goes. And, uh, but I appreciated that uh, fresh twist on it there. I'd never heard that before. And so that was a blessing. Um, I'm looking forward to this evening. And uh, if you would turn with me tonight in Luke chapter 2. And um, Luke chapter 2. And uh, I always appreciate 
pastor letting me uh, preach, and uh, it's a great honor for me, and uh, I think one of my favorite things to do. Luke chapter 2 um, is an amazing book, and um, you know we look at Luke chapter 2, obviously we highlight it this time of year over and over and over and over again, and, uh, and rightfully so, um, but Luke chapter 2 is incredible, and, uh, and, it, and it has some uh, incredible events that take place in it. Obviously, it's uh, most well-known for what? Man, no one knows. What is Luke chapter 2 most well-known for? Worldwide taxing. Yes, that's right. Yeah, worldwide taxing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Did you ever think about that? That stinking Caesar Augustus and all the world should be taxed? The whole world? Are you kidding me? And, uh, and so Luke chapter 2, you see there um, that uh, obviously it's not the worldwide taxing that's the big deal. It is the birth of Jesus Christ, and I'm glad somebody woke up long enough to help me out with that, and uh, I hope that uh, wakes up the rest of us <laughs> so we can focus on tonight. And the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, um, it's amazing. Uh, as you look through chap- uh, uh, Luke chapter 2, it, uh, it encompasses a, a huge portion, a majority of Jesus' life, and it's uh, simply 52 verses long, 52 verses to cover virtually 30 years of the Son of God's life. We have very little text in the Scripture that deals with the first 30 years, and most of it is right here in Luke chapter 2. You see in the first five verses, by way of introduction introduction tonight, in uh, Luke chapter 2, and we already made joke, but Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. I hope it's not lost on you that God turned all of the world out for a taxing just so he could get married to Bethlehem to fulfill a prophecy that was made hundreds of years before. And uh, that's an amazing thing, that he, that he orchestrates and that he makes things to uh, occur. And, uh, and he did that there. And so the first five verses here, though, um, are how Mary ended up in Bethlehem. And so we have, we have 52 altogether dealing with Jesus' first 30 years. The first five are just dealing with how he ends up in Bethlehem to be born. The next 15 verses, starting in verse number 7, says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And so these next 15 verses uh, deal with the first day of Jesus' life. These next 15 verses, you read through that, you're going to have you know, the inn, the cattle lowing, the manger... <laughs> Most of that's not in there, all right? But the inn is there, and uh, the, I don't recall the cattle lowing being in there. Um, but the birth of Jesus Christ and the shepherds and the angels and all of that taking place. So uh, those next 15 verses deal with the first day of Jesus' life. That brings us down to verse number 21. Uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse number 21 and it says there, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was also so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so uh, these, these, this next verse here, right after the, the 15 verses that deal with his first day of life, this next verse skipped over eight days, and now he's official in the Jewish culture. Uh, he's been given a name. Now, Mary better be glad that she didn't have her child at City Hospital because she would have never got released from that manger and that that uh, stall there, because they are sticklers about, do you have a name yet? Do you have a name yet? Believe me, I've been harassed six times about it. And, uh, and so, um, 
uh, here they are, and, uh, and, and they name, they officially, um, by their cultural standards, um, he is, he is um, circumcised and given the name Jesus. The next verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 22, it says, And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So, we're eight days at circumcision, and now the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, have been accomplished. This means that 40 days have passed. That's what the law of Moses dictates. 40 days of purification uh, after birth for a son. Now, I'll note here by way of (laughs) a little lightheartedness that uh, it takes 80 days to be purified from having a daughter. So the girls are definitely not, you know, sugar and spice and everything nice um, because it takes double the purification for having a daughter than it does for a son. I don't know what God's plan is there, but um, I'm just saying, don't shoot the messenger. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. So, so now we're the, the, those 40 days have elapsed. And so now Jesus, um, can you, are you following along, I hope? How old is Jesus at this point? We're verse number 21, 22. All right, out of 52 verses, how old is Jesus? How long? How? 48 days. All right, 48. He was eight days at his naming, 40 days of purification. Now they're on a trip to Jerusalem. All right, so... Um, I don't know what the, he, you know, he's, he's uh, four weeks old and uh, five weeks old, whatever it is, they, you know, how it is when they're babies, they're always counting weeks, all right? And uh, he's 40 day, 48 days old, and, um, and so here he is um, on his way to Jerusalem. Verse number 22 through 39 covers, and, and we won't take the time to read it, we just don't have the time, covers um, Mary and Joseph's, J- Joseph's um, encounter with Simeon and Anna. And, uh, and here in the temple where uh, he, he uh, declares that, you know, the Lord would not let him see death until he saw the Messiah. And, uh, and so uh, we see that great encounter there. So now that brings us all the way down out of these 52 verses to verse number 40. 52 verses to encompass 30 years of Jesus' life. And we're, we're only 48 days into his life and we're at verse 40. Verse 40 covers 12 years of his life, virtually. It says in verse number 40, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So all we know from day 48 to year 12 about Jesus is that he grew. Well, good for Jesus, he grew. And that's, that's a great thing. And, uh, and so the doctors are always concerned about my kids because they don't seem to grow. And, uh, but Jesus grew, and so praise the Lord for that. And, uh, and he grew physically. The Bible says that he waxed strong in spirit. And so he grew mentally. He grew physically. He grew mentally. And the Bible says that he was filled with wisdom. He grew spiritually. And so 12 years of his life have elapsed, and he's grown physically. He's matured mentally and spiritually. And uh, we see there, and it says, And the grace of God was upon him. So there was something evident about Jesus, even at 12 years old, that there was something special about this young man, that he had a purpose, that God's grace was upon him, and the Bible makes note of that. So we've skipped over 12 years. Jesus is now 12 years old. He's, he's one year away from um, what we know as the bar mitzvah. This is, bar mitzvah is 
son of commandment. And uh, it's often confused for a Jewish child becoming an adult. That's not what bar mitzvah is. It's just their time of accountability. When they reach 13 years old as a young man, 12 for a girl, 13 years old for a boy, um, when they reach that age, they are now accountable under the law for their sin. Up to that point, the parents make sacrifice for them. The parents are spiritually responsible for their children. That's why they could take them outside of the gate and stone them if they were rebellious. All right? I'm not joking. That's why they could do that. Because they were responsible for that child. But at 12, 13 years old, this young man um, was now responsible for his own sin. But you see here about Jesus that um, he was already leaps and bounds ahead of where a normal 12-year-old would be. At 13 is when they would really start to study the law. At 13 is when they would... Um, become apprenticed. They would start to have more responsibility. They would start to learn a trade. But we, we pick up here, if you would, in, in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 46. It says, And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple. And I, and I skipped over a portion there where they had made a journey in Passover. He's 12 years old and they're on their way home. But verse number 46, I think we're all acquainted with the story here. It says, And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple. Three days Jesus has been missing. They found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of doctors, both hearing them and asking questions. You know, it's one thing for a 12-year-old to listen to teaching. It's another thing for them to ask questions and to have intelligent conversation. And that's what this 12-year-old was doing here. Jesus, at the point of his life where he would just beginning, uh, be beginning his spiritual training, his spiritual accountability, he was teaching those that would be teaching him. In verse number 48, it says, And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spoke unto them. Jesus is already ready to take responsibility for himself. He, uh, he may just be entering that age of spiritual accountability, but obviously we know who he is and the understanding that he has of his purpose in life. Why, why did you seek me sorrowing? Know ye not, wished ye not, that I must be about my father's business? They didn't understand what he was speaking about, although it definitely had to have been alluded to them at some point that there was something special about Jesus. We're now here, we've just, we've just accomplished reading through 50 verses of the 52 verses that cover the 30 years of Jesus' life. And so now we're, we're going to get into the next 18. And it's, it's going to happen rather quickly in verse number 51. And it says, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. That's 18 years of Jesus' life right there. The next time we see him, he's going to be baptized by John the Baptist, and he's going to begin his earthly ministry. He's going to be 30 years old. 18 years of his life wrapped up in two verses. Out of, out of a, a chapter of 52 that deals with 30 years, two verses right here deal with 18. And what, what people or uh, theologians might uh, Describe as the silent years of Jesus Christ. There's virtually nothing said about him except what we find here in these two verses. And I want you to notice that phrase in verse number 51. It says, And he went down with them 
and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. And that subject is the subject for this evening. It's the silent subject. It's not the subject of the phrase, but that he was subjected to these authorities. To the, to the people that God had seen fit, the family that God had seen fit to place him into. And what does being subject mean? And we could do a Bible study, but I would have you make note tonight that in verse number 52 of Luke chapter, or verse number 51 of Luke chapter 2, this is the first time that the idea or the word subject is mentioned in all of Scripture. That's important. It's the law of first mention. And here we see subject as in somebody being subjected to another authority. It's the first time that it's mentioned. And it's mentioned in reference to Jesus Christ. That's important. It's important for us because of the example that he sets for us to follow. If you look through Luke um, chapter 2, you'll find uh, where later on it's mentioned that the disciples and the the apostles were excited. They were uh, excited to come to Jesus because the devils were subject unto them. And so we start to get a picture of what does subject mean. Well, it means to be under the control of something or to be under the power of someone. And the apostles here were excited because the devils, these evil spirits, were under subject of God's authority. In Romans chapter 13, we'll see subject mentioned again, where we are instructed, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. And so we start to get a picture as we use the word of God to understand what subject is. It means to submit. And Webster, uh, he, he uh, confirms this uh, definition by uh, stating that it is being under the power or domination of another. To make subservient. To put under or within the power of. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in flesh, subservient to Mary and Joseph, under the power of, making the deliberate choice here in his life to put himself in subjection to these authorities. This is what God would have us to know about 18 years of his son's life here on earth. I don't know why God doesn't give us more details about those 18 years. I mean, that sure would have been helpful, 12 to, eight, 12 to 30, man, what a critical and crucial time of a person's life. I'd love to know how Jesus acted and how he behaved and, and how his parents trained him and, and how he responded. I'd love to see that example, but God didn't see fit to give that information to us. All he gives us is that he subjected himself to them. 18 years, and all we know is that he subjected himself and grew in favor with God and man. Well, that infers certainly this evening that being in subject is an important topic then. And learning what that is. And so, it's more of a silent subject. We don't know entirely what it looked like for Jesus, but we know what the Word of God teaches us. And, and Lord willing, we can grab a couple principles. And these principles are going to come really quick. And so, hold on fast. I'm overly caffeinated, and uh, you better listen real hard. Father, I pray that you would help us to glean from your word tonight, Lord, that we would walk away not having heard from Steve Cavanaugh, but from you. Lord, I pray that we would be shaped and molded into the image of your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first thing that I want you to notice about being subject, and it's incredibly important that we are subject, and I'm just going to give you a couple quick principles here. Being in subject is Christ-like. You know, the thing about us and our nature is that we don't want to be subjected. 
we want to be in control. And uh, we want to be the one who is, who is always pulling the strings or manipulating the puppet. But what we see here, the example of Jesus Christ, is that he humbled himself and placed himself under another's power or control. It wouldn't just be in this instance of his life that he does that. We know, uh, does this. We know that he would do this throughout his entire life and he would become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so it would be a pattern that Christ sets for us that being in subjection is what, how he wants us to behave. The Bible is very clear that he has left for us an example that we should follow in his steps. And so we have a requirement, there's an instruction given to us now that we are to be subjected because being in subjection is Christ-like. There are often difficulties in the Christian's life. There is often discussion uh, and desire for a better understanding of Scripture. There's times where we don't know what to do, where we don't have wisdom on a subject or a decision that needs to be made. There is often in the Christian life where we are uncertain of things that lay right in front of us and how, how we should choose. But one thing we can be glad about is that no matter how difficult our circumstances, no matter what we're going through, that if we will just be in subjection to our authorities, we are being like Christ. You know, we complicate the Christian life. We make it difficult. Oh, I wish I knew God's will, and I, I wish I knew how to proceed here. I, I wish I knew how to deal with this conflict at work, or this difficulty at home, or this child-rearing problem, or, or this, or this, or this, or this, or this. We want to look at all of our problems and say, I wish I knew how to do this specifically, but we don't even want to be in subjection to the authorities in our lives. Being in subjection is Christ-like, and we need to be careful to be, just be like Christ more often than trying to be a know-it-all and solve all of our own problems. I, I'm not trying to oversimplify the Christian life. I know that there are difficult decisions that have to be made, but far too often we're out on our own trying to make them instead of being under His authority. The second principle that I want you to, to learn about subjection tonight is being understood is not a prerequisite for being in subjection. You see here in verse number 49 that he said unto them, How it is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? We saw earlier in verse number 40 that the child grew and waxed strong in spirit when he was 12 years old and was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. So his parents knew something was unique about Jesus. They knew that he had a purpose. They knew that he had a mission. And he's saying, hey, hasn't it clicked with you guys yet? Don't you know I must be about my father's business? But they didn't understand what he was saying, and Jesus didn't blabber on about it. The very next verse, it says, and he submitted to them. You know, being understood is not a prerequisite for being in subjection. Far too often today, we want to be understood in our, in our subjection. We don't simply want to submit. We want to submit if this is all laid out. It might look like I'll serve, but only in this capacity. I'll sacrifice, but only from this portion of my life. I'll sanctify and set apart my life as long as I don't have to give up this. We pre-qualify our subjection. But that's not what subjection is. Jesus, above all people, had every right to exclaim to his parents, you just don't understand. If you would just open your ears and open your eyes, you would get the picture here. But he didn't. 
he shut his mouth and subjected himself to his parents. When we refuse, and, and listen to this very carefully, when we refuse to subject ourselves unless our conditions are met, we are attempting to sell again to God what he has already purchased. Let me read it again. When we, when we refuse to subject ourselves unless our conditions are met, we are attempting to sell again to God what he has already purpose, uh, purchased. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God and are not your own, for ye are bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. It's already God's. You're a child of his. And if you refuse to subject to him and you're qualifying every instance of your life or any instance of your life that you will not serve him freely, you're trying to sell back to him what he's already purchased. That's fraudulent. That's theft. It's not subjection. Number three, you are not ready to serve until you are in subjection. Jesus himself would not enter into public ministry except after subjecting himself to his parents. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15, it says, For the grace of God, and just listen quickly, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The next couple verses go on to uh, uh, encourage and expound on what it means to live godly in this present world. That brings us to Titus chapter 3 and verse number 1. And it, the, the believers here are given an instruction. Put them in mind to be subject. Put them in mind to be subject. This is what I want you to do for the body of Christ. I want you to remind them that they need to remain. They need to keep themselves in subjection. Because if they're not careful, what they'll do is they'll tie themselves up again with the ordinances of this world. Get entangled again with the ordinances of this world. And in context, he is talking about the law. But in principle, we can clearly see that when we're not in subjection to our authorities, that we get ourselves entangled with this life and, and we lose perspective of who should be dictating to us. Who should be in control? Who we should be in subjection to? You're not ready to serve until you're in subjection. But that is not an excuse not to serve. Just as though sin is not an excuse to not take the Lord's Supper. We don't take the Lord's Supper. There's only one reason. That's we're an open sin and we don't want to get it right. Serving the Lord is a privilege. It should be something we desire to do. and We want to do it. We're honored to do. And if you're not serving Him then get in subjection. Don't just continue not serving him. That's not what we want. That's not what the word of God infers for us here. Number four, accomplishing what God intended for you requires subjection. Oh, you might be able to accomplish something, but it won't be all God intended for you. Luke chapter two and verse number 49, we saw here that Jesus said to uh, Mary and Joseph, how is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Who knows the significance of this phrase? Does anybody know the significance of this phrase? 
outside of what he's saying. There's, this is a, a significant part of the Bible. This is the first time that Jesus speaks as, as man. It's the first time that he speaks in the Bible. Right here. We don't, we don't hear his voice any other time up to this point. The first time he speaks, he speaks to his parents. And he says, Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? I want to take you to the last time that Jesus spoke as God in flesh. And that's in John chapter 19, verse number 30. It says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. His first opening phrase in this life was, Wist ye not, I must be about my father's business. His last phrase in this life was, It is finished. His father's business was done. What he came to accomplish was done. And we cannot... Hey, it was only accomplished in Jesus' life because he was in subjection to the Father. And what God intends for us to accomplish in this life will only occur when we are in subjection. What God intended. Yes, you might be able to accomplish something, but it won't be all that God has for you. You could look through Scripture and time and time again, you'll see people who accomplished something for God. It was only when they were in subject to Him. Noah subjected himself to God's instruction to build a boat on dry land for a flood. Moses, he had a vision. He wanted to accomplish something grand, but it didn't happen until he got on the backside of a wilderness for 40 years and submitted to a voice coming from a burning bush. And that's when he was used to free his people. Abraham was not ready for use by God until he was willing to offer up his son Isaac upon that altar. And he subjected to that instruction. Job subjected himself to God's plan when he, in the midst of turmoil, blessed the name of God and was willing to come out the same way that he came into this world, naked, destitute. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord because he was in subject to God. Esther, what would have happened to the children of Israel if she had not agreed with the words of her uncle Mordecai for such a time as this? if she was not in subject to God's plan for her life, but she was in subject, and as a result of that, saved her nation from annihil- uh, saved her people from annihilation. David subjected himself to God's timeline of events, and he would not touch the anointed of the Lord till it was his turn to be placed on that throne by God in his time. You look at the, you look at the Apostle Paul and Saul. You look on that... That, that road trip he's taken to Damascus. And he's kicking against the pricks. Is it not hard for you? Just subject yourself, Saul. And he did. And look what God did in his life. We are all very clearly instructed here to be in subject. Being, su- being in subject is Christ-like. You don't have to be understood to be in subjection. You're not ready to serve until you are in subjection, and you will not ac- accomplish God's intended purpose unless you are in subjection. So we have these four principles here. And I want to ask you a question. Who are you in subject to? Every single one of us are in subject to someone or something. There's not a one of us in here who aren't. 
In Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, the Bible says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Again, we're dealing with Old Testament law and the ordinances of the law coming in and confusing what grace and salvation was. But here we see a clear, a clear principle given to us that even believers can become entangled again, as we've already talked about, with the ordinances, that we can become subject to the ordinances of this world. And the, the word that he uses there is rudiments of the world. And rudiments does not just uh, <laughs> describe for us the law. Rudiments is, is carnal things. It's fleshly things. It's things that might entice my flesh. And, and so here we see that the believer, that Christians can become entangled, that they can become subject to the rudiments of this world, to other people. And I, I want to ask you tonight, who are you in subject to? Who has power and control over your life? Who pulls the strings and who dictates your activity? Who is controlling your spirit? When it comes to your mind, your will, and your emotions, what is the guide? Who are you in subjection to? You know, if, if I'm being honest, and I think if most of us are honest, there's a lot of things we subject ourselves to. And you know what? It may not be sinful, but they're certainly distractions. And by distractions, they become sinful. <laughs> Who are you in subject to? Are you in subject to yourself or are you in subject to God? We live in a world that is in desperate need. And I, and I just want to stop for a minute and, and, and expound just a little bit. If, if I cannot serve the way that I ought to serve unless I am in subjection, and I cannot accomplish what's intended by God for my life without being in subjection, then what is going to happen to this world? If I am not in subjection. Well, I mean, when we all just turn on the news for a few minutes, it doesn't look like that Christians are having much sway in the world. And I, again, I want to pose the question, is it because we're not in subjection? Could we have a bigger impact on this world? Oh, I know that prophecy has to be fulfilled, and I, I know that things have to come apart before they come back together. I, I understand all that, but could we have a bigger role in, in affecting this world? And finally, the government has just recently acknowledged that there's, a, there, there's been a spike in violence. Took them all year. I think in the, in the city of Chicago, they were saying alone in one Cook County, I think they said there was a, a thousand shooting deaths this year. We've got a problem in our world. But it's not just our world that has a problem. We've got a problem in our homes. And we've got a problem in our churches that are, that are very much watered down from what they should be. Why is that? Is it because we are not in subjection? And I know that that's just not politically correct to say you need to be in subjection to anything. <laughs> the society in which we live says there is nobody greater than you. You are your own God. 
And that, unfortunately, has crept into the house of God. But that's not the instruction given for us in the Word of God. We are to be in subjection to godly authority and to God Himself. He should be dictating to us. And so, how do I make sure that I'm in submission to God? I'm going to give you four more things. Okay? James chapter 4. Jump over there. James chapter 4. And this will not take long. Listen to it. How do I remain in subjection? How do I get myself in subjection to God? If, if that's the problem, and, and, and if that's how I can accomplish something for God, and that's how I can serve Him, then I want to be in subjection. How can I get there? James chapter 4 and verse number uh, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Number one, you need to resubmit in obedience to God. If you're going to be in subjection, resubmit in obedience to God. Resubmitting in obedience requires that I am going to resist temptation. So you can't say I'm going to obey God, but I'm just going to gratify my flesh as well. No, you've got to resist temptation and he will flee from you. But submit yourselves. Put yourselves under his authority and his control. Whatever you want from me, Lord, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to resubmit in obedience. And I'm going to tell you right now that every believer in this room, we have got to be daily resubmitting ourselves to God in obedience. Because if we're not careful, in a day, an activity will creep up. And before you know it, we've gone a whole day without ever once cracking open the pages of this book. And I stand here just as guilty as you do. But hey, we'll go a day where we don't spend any more than the mealtime prayer before His throne. We've got to resubmit. If we're going to be in subjection to God, we've got to resubmit in obedience to His simple instructions. Don't complicate it. Obey what you know to obey. Second thing in verse number 8. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Resubmit in obedience to him. Second thing is revitalize your walk with him. If you want to stay in subjection to God, you've got to revitalize your walk with God. I don't want you to feel good about your walk with God. I want you to know that he is close to you and you are close to him. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Are you close to God? You are not in subjection to him if you are not close to him. Get close to Him. Know His presence and know His leading and know His Holy Spirit's dwelling in your life. Know His answered prayer and know His peace that passes understanding. But it won't happen unless you revitalize that walk and you will not be in submission to Him unless you are in submission to His Word. Thirdly, in the latter part of verse number 8, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. If we're going to be in submission to God, first, resubmit to, in obedience to Him. Second, revitalize your walk with Him. Third, remove distractions that detract from Him. What do we see there? Clean hands. That's an, ex- an external purification. A pure heart, an internal purification. And, ye, and you purify your hearts, ye double-minded. That's a singleness of mind. Maybe you have an action you're doing that you should not be doing. Stop. You cannot be in subjection if you are committing those acts that are against God. Maybe it's not an external act. Maybe it's an internal 
act. The thoughts and the intents of your heart. Maybe you're serving God, but you're serving out of your own pride. Maybe you have hatred, bitterness, wrath, malice. But it's inside. Purify your hearts. And become single in your mindedness, your focus. Make him preeminent in your life. If you're going to be in subjection to him, there has to be nothing greater than him. Oh, and I think this is probably one of the most difficult things for us today as believers that cause us to fall out of subjection to God. We are not single-minded. We are double-minded and unstable in all our ways. We have got to be single-minded. There can be nothing, I said nothing, there can be nothing more important than God in your life. And it doesn't happen because you say that he's important. He's not important just because you verbalize it to somebody. He's important and he's the single focus of your life because you've purified your hands and you've cleansed your heart and you've resubmitted in obedience and you've revitalized the walk with him and said, God, there is nothing more important in my life than you. So if these three things are how we get into subjection so far, how are we doing? Are you in subjection to God? We've recovered resubmit and obedience. We've recovered revitalize your walk with Him. We've covered remove distraction that detract from Him. Number four, repent of inward rebellion. Verse number nine, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. This is not just be sad because I told you to be sad. This is to take count of your life and realize where there's sin and get serious about it. We take such a a soft-handed approach to sin. It's no big deal. It it doesn't grieve us, but what he's instructing us here is, hey, 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 church family, hey, believer, if you're going to be in submission to me, you've got to take an approach to sin that causes grief in your heart. It should bring you to mourning. It should bring you to weeping. It should should bring embarrassment and shame in your heart. Oh God, I can't believe I've allowed that to happen. We shuff off sin sin like it's no big deal. And and we act as though because our spirit cannot sin, as though we shouldn't make a big deal about it. Yeah, you are free from sin in your spirit. You're not in bondage to that anymore. But your flesh is. And we've got to take a a, a more, the word escapes, stern approach to our sin. Too much casualness about our sin. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I think that out of these things and submitting to God, casualness to my sin is probably, a little confession, one of the most difficult things for me. Because I can see it in somebody else so good. And it bothers the fire out of me. But it doesn't really bother me quite that way. And that's hypocritical. It's it's not good. (laughs) And I can't be in subjection to God with that kind of hard attitude. But he said here, hey, this is what I want from you. I want you to be afflicted and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your, your joy to heaviness. Don't be so flippant about your sin. Repent, repent, repent. We need repentance in our church, in our hearts, in our lives. You and I, we need repentance. We need to live it. We need to turn away from some things in our lives. 
Not just, oh yeah, I messed up again. Oh, I made a mistake. Oh, they made a mistake. So all that verbiage just makes it this, this casual thing. No, your sin is what condemns you to hell. Your sin is what, what, what caused Jesus Christ to have to come to earth. It was our sin, my sin and your sin, that could only be covered by the, the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's no flippant thing. We shouldn't be so casual about it in our lives, and we can never live in subjection to God the way that we ought to if we're flippant about our sin. And then finally, if I'm going to be in subjection to God, I need to remain humble in His sight. Verse number 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. You know, if you're in subjection to God, you can be sure that in your heart you know that you pass His examination of your life. It is in His sight that you're approved. Not the sight of men, but in His sight. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Pass His test of examination. Match up to His requirements for you. Then you know you're in subjection. Yes, Lord, I can stand before you right now with clear conscience and an open heart. I'm submitted to you. I'm ready. Will you use me? I'm ready to serve. 18 years of Jesus' life. And he was subject to them. Who are you in subjection to? And I trust it's the Lord. Your home needs it for you to be in subjection to God. The church needs for you to be in subjection to God. The world needs for you to be in subjection to God. But even if none of those things matter to you, be in subjection to Him because He loves you and has sent His Son to die, to be the propitiation for your sins, not for yours only, but also the sins of the world. To be in submission to God or subjection to God, you've got to resubmit in obedience, revitalize your walk with Him, remove distractions that detract from Him, repent of inward rebellion, remain humble in His sight. Just read James chapter 4, 7 through 10. Make it a part of your life and practice it every day. Who are you subject to? Lord, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for your example. We thank you for you sending your son Jesus. And while we don't know all of what happened in his younger years, in those 30 years of his life, we do know that those 18 years of preparation for ministry, that he was in subjection to his God-given authorities. Lord, I pray that you would help us to examine our hearts and our lives. Lord, if there is anyone in this room tonight who, upon searching their heart, would have to respond that they are not in subjection to you, Lord, may we leave changed. There's no reason for us to leave this place not being in subject to you. Not being under your control or under your power. Lord, may we be ready for service, available for use. May we be capable of accomplishing all you intend for us to do. Lord, we thank you for 
the opportunity that you give us, even when we fail, to get back into subjection to you. Thank you for that mercy and grace that's new to us every morning. If you would stand with me this evening as the piano begins to play, if the Lord spoke to your